This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, I was just calling looking for JT. I got a bag of a fat, staggy gag for him, man. But anyway, you're listening to 200 Nerd Comic Cast with John Joe and Matt. Welcome to episode 112 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, April 17th. My name is Matt Baum. That is at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not shopping the net for the best vaporizer for my money, I write the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not cleaning out the carb on my three-foot bong, so I can enjoy a long, slow rip of some Alaska skull It's amazing. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. This dude smokes hella weed, folks, and it's 420 weekend, so get ready for our annual... 420 show where we make marijuana jokes the whole time. I'm so excited. This week you'll hear reviews of Danger Girl Trinity number one and Nightwing number 19. After that we'll review 10 comics faster than Snoop Lion can separate the seeds from the stems during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where a certain super fat Asgardian is cooking up a meal that's sure to help us learn the secrets of next week's comics and finally my homie DJ Patrick, and that's Dainty Joe, not Disc Jockey, is warming up his MC skills for a visit from the comic pushers. But before we get to all that bullying of Congress so the criminals and the criminally insane can maintain their right to own firearms, let's take a moment to throw some love to our Bostonian peeps. You guys have had a rough week, and we here at the Ziggurat are certainly thinking about you. Much love to you kids. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. <laughs> Get ready for more Star Wars, a lot more. At CinemaCon in Las Vegas this Wednesday, Disney's Alan Horn announced that there will be a new Star Wars film every year, starting with forever. (laughs) (laughs) Starting with Episode Seven in 2015, installments of the new trilogy will hit theaters every other year, alternating with the standalone films hinted at a few months back. The off years will likely be the place we'll find the rumored Boba Fett and young Han Solo movies. It's too early to tell if yet another trilogy will follow episodes 7, 8, and 9, but if the expanded universe has taught us anything, it's that there's a lot of gold to mine from the Star Wars mythos, so these standalone films could end up being a lot of fun. What do you think? I hope so. Cautiously optimistic, I hope so. I'm still excited about Star Wars coming back, not being in the hands of George. I think it's a good thing. I really don't want to see the adventures of like young Kiwi Boba Fett. You remember when they were like, we're going to see young Boba Fett? Cool. What? He's nine? <laughs> no, like I don't need to. I don't think they're planning on doing like young Boba Fett. I want like Boba Fett escaping from the Sarlacc pit at the end of Return of the Jedi. Sure, sure. No, I'll, I mean, I'll watch more of that. And that could be cool. Cautiously optimistic. That's where I stand. Yeah, I just, I'm worried about them putting out too much too fast. But there is a lot of story there. Sure. I mean, as long as they have the content, sure, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but I also don't want to get burnt out on it, you know? Fair so, enough. So, we'll see. After the end of this next trilogy, which presumably will be about, you know, the Skywalker family. Maybe. What do they do after for, like, their big, like, mythological, you know, thrust? You do a Hardware Wars redux. Hardware, remember, Thumb Wars. Remember Hardware Wars? <laughs> yeah. With Chuchilla? I, re- 
A couple bits of Marvel movie news hit this hit the net this week. First, Deadline reported that Michael Rooker, aka Merle Dixon, on AMC's The Walking Dead, he's the guy with the knife hand, has been cast as Yondu in the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy film. I bet Aura McWilliams fell off his desk. Oh, he did. He read that. For those of you listening that aren't Joe Patrick or Aura McWilliams, Yondu is the blue skin, red mohawked hunter from Alpha Centauri that served as a member of the original Guardians of the Galaxy from the 31st century. It's interesting to note that the 2014 film is based on the Abnett and Lanning version of the team, not the original Guardians. So, how the two teams will be intertwined is anyone's guess. Later the same week, several photos from the set of The Amazing Spider-Man 2 appeared online featuring in-costume images of Jamie Foxx as Electro. Don't hold your breath for the green and yellow lightning bolts. It looks like they're going for something closer to the ultimate version of the character. Joe, what do you think of these developments? Let's start with the Guardians, and then we'll move on to the bright blue veiny Jamie Foxx. I was totally surprised uh, to hear that Yondu was being put into the Guardians movie. That's weird. Like, the original Guardians haven't really been around for years. Yeah. Other than a very odd appearance in the Abnett and Lanning where they were, like, out of time or stuck in time or whatever. That was fun, though. But... Like, they haven't been a thing for a very long time, and I don't know what this means. I thought I thought I knew that this was just going to be the Abnett and Landing Guardians, Star-Lord, Rocket Raccoon, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, does that mean we're going to get Charlie 27, <laughs> big muscular dude from Jupiter, and all the rest of the guys? Who was the shark guy? And he had, like, the really rough skin. He wasn't a shark. Oh, no, he, he wasn't was made shark. out of crystal. Yeah, was that it? Yeah, his name was Martinex. And That's he right. Had, he had a flat top? Well, sort of. Okay. I mean, he had. He was made out of crystal, so he wasn't real round at all. Uh, and he had hot and cold powers. Uh, Ooh. Maybe that's not who I'm thinking of. You're probably thinking of Charlie 27, who's like this big... He's born on Jupiter, so and he's he super dense. Like he's gigantic. Bandoliers? Yeah, that's yeah, Charlie yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. They were stupid. <laughs> Let's move along to... Uh, <laughs> Moving right along. Reporting the news. Jamie Foxx. Matt Bomb. As Electro. I'm fine with it. I it's don't... Uh, it's Ultimate Electro. I guess. I mean, you know that they're going to put a bunch of CG on him. He's going to be glowy and electric. He's right, right, He's going to be like energy. And I didn't think he was going to show up in a green and yellow suit with lightning bolt X's coming off his face or anything, you know? Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, it'll probably be cool. And once again, remember we all saw, like, when we first saw... Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern. We're all like, ah, yuck! And then we saw the movie and went, ah, yuck! But Green Lantern did look pretty cool. <laughs> you know, like, they did a good job CGing him up. He looked cool. I think that these are just set photos yeah. with the bare minimum of effect put on them. And he's going to look a lot better in the finished product. I think so, too. I, I, I think it's smart for them to go with the more electric, you know, energy version, like from the Ultimate Universe. No, yeah, I mean... Of because course. the main Marvel Universe version, let's be honest, is kind of silly. silly. Kind of silly. In fact, I'd argue he's sillier now with the electric lightning bolt axes tattooed on his face yeah. than he was when he had the big mask on. <laughs> Can you uh, pick the guy out of the lineup that shot you with electricity, man? <laughs> yeah, it's the guy with the lightning it's bolts on his face. definitely the guy with the lightning bolt face. <laughs> Finally, a new trailer for Zack Snyder's Man of Steel was released this week, and it is magical. The new three-minute trailer gives us a much better look at Superman in action, as well as the first bits of dialogue from Michael Shannon as General Zod and Amy Adams as Lois Lane. Plus, 
Kevin f***ing Costner almost brought me to tears. That's his job, sir. I'm a grown-ass man. <laughs> the only thing missing was a little bit of John Williams. Matt Bomb, what did you think? I loved it. I'm, oh. I'm so excited now. I got chills while I watched it. Oh. And even if we don't have the original Superman music, the music that was playing in the background worked really well. It sounds cool. Well, it's Hans Zimmer, and he's no slouch. No, but, he is not. I no. mean, but listen, there's a scene halfway through the trailer where he gears up to take off. He, it's yeah. at the it's at the end of a of a uh, a soliloquy from Jor El where he's talking about how you will teach them how to reach for the stars or whatever. <laughs> reach for the stars. Well, you will teach them how to chase their dreams. You will, you'll <laughs> you'll teach them how to you'll teach them how to fly or something. And like right then. Like I never wanted to hear the Superman theme more badly in my entire oh, yeah. life. No doubt. I mean, come on. I and like I almost can't handle it. I even can't just, handle the fact that even it's not just there. The horn. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? And so I'm begging somebody on the internet who's got like After Effects or some video editing program to get that shit done. There we go. Because I need to see that trailer again with the proper music. But I loved it. Yeah, moral of the story here, there's hope for this. I am very excited and i think they saw the reaction based on the first trailer where everybody went what he's like superman's on a crab fishing boat like <laughs> he's the, on the most deadliest catch or what is this yeah and then this one is like okay here's krypton here's superman flying around punching people out of the air and it's like that looks cool yeah <laughs> uh, i think amy adams sounds great as lois lane yeah, she's i great. think general zod fun. sounds scary there was like a viral thing that hit a few days before the trailer where it was like a super staticky message. Like General Zod had taken over all the airwaves and he's like, you are harboring a fugitive from my home planet. Fun. Turn him over to me in 24 hours or you pay the consequences. And then he talks to Kal-El. He's like, you will surrender yourself or these people will pay the price. Yeah. The end. <laughs> and I got, ooh, I got some really, really goosebumpy. At it the, looks really that. good. Yeah, I think this movie is going to be a lot of fun. And the hope for it is so high at this point that if it's bad, that is the end of DC movies. Could be. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with them. But I can't wait for this movie. This country is safe again, Superman. Thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. And that is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where you can see video of me doing my best Terrence Stamp impersonation, yelling into the camera while President Joe Patrick is out my knees going, Help us, Superman! Please! You're out there! Help us! And then I go, Who is this Superman? <laughs> you will bring him before me! He will kneel before me! <laughs> And then my favorite part, where he just gets so pissed that he doesn't know what to do, so he yells his own name. Zod! <laughs> just as it cuts off. I love it. Each week, my favorite scary barking alien general, Joe Patrick, posts the THN question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter. And we not only read your responses, but you can call us on Skype and we will play your responses on the air. Not on this show, but on the all-new Answer of the Week audio blog exclusively at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe Patrick, what did we ask these nerds this week? This week's question was, in honor of Superman's 75th birthday, what is your all-time favorite Superman story? I love it. This will be a fun one. Yeah. This will be a real fun one. I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert right now. For all ten of you that keep answering All-Star Superman, <laughs> only one or two of you will get chosen. There you go. 
If you want to hear us making fun of your answers, along with our own uninformed responses, go to twoheadednerd.com and check out the unedited, not safe for Wonder Woman audio blog, The Answer of the Week, posting on Wednesday. Baboosh. Baboosh. You have until Tuesday. There's no Superman stuff that starts with W. At approximately 4 o'clock. It was really hard. To get us your answer. Tuesday. Do it. Do it. It's review time on THN where Matt and I review two of this week's new comics and decide whether or not they should be fed to the hungry pugs that wander the ziggurat. Matt Bomb, what did you read this week? This week, I read Danger Girl Trinity, number one, from IDW. This was written by Andy Hartnell, with art by John Royal, Harvey Tolabau, Tolabau. Tolabau and Stephen Molnar. That's a team of artists there. Joe Patrick was concerned I would not be able to maintain my high standards of journalism, ha! disconnect myself <laughs> from the asshole that I tend to be when I read cheesecake comics because the girl's boobs are so big. You know what big boobs do to me. Here's your solicit. It's three times the action, three times the thrills, and three times three the times, boobs. Oh, we got to yell the stuff that's in, uh, in caps. Oh, yeah. It's three times the action, three times the thrills, and three times the Abby, Sydney, and Sonia embark on three different knuckle-clenching adventures, each an epic tale of intrigue and daring do. Daring do. And daring do. <laughs> and each drawn by a different fantastic artist. It's a triple play of danger that will climax in the biggest surprise of the year. If you were missing J. Scott Campbell's work on Danger Girl, he's the guy that created this title and the characters at Image Comics back in 1998. Don't fret, IDW has assembled a team of artists that can almost perfectly mimic his art style. Along with that of Tom Rainey, Circa Stormwatch, and a little Terry Dodson for good measure. This comic, like they said, is split into three stories beginning with the first of the girls, Abby Chase, the blonde. This one's drawn by John Royal, who is the aforementioned Campbell clone. And this looked very much like the Danger Girl I remember. The story had a very Indiana Jones feel going for it, and it was complete with a wise-cracking monkey. The second story checks in on Sydney, the redhead who gets a mysterious late-night call telling her that Abby may have been kidnapped. Sydney has just been finishing a one-night stand with a hot airline millionaire, and there's some cute, quippy dialogue here. The art here is by Harvey Tolabau, and I gotta say, it's great. It's a really great-looking two-page spread featuring Sydney fighting this assassin in a hotel room. The center of the spread is her upside down, sort of like in an action kick pose. And all around it, you see her beating the crap out of the guy. It was really well done. And the final story checks in with Sydney's sister, Sonia Savage, who's been cut off by mercenaries while trying to bring in a thief for a bounty in some jungle a area. Place. Here, the artist by Stephen Molnar, and once again, it looks really good. Molnar's got this Frank Cho meets Terry Dodson style that's perfect for the cheesecake action here. Is there a brilliant story? No. It's just a bunch of different Hollywood action movie tropes smashed into a comic starring three busty ladies with size zero waists. Absolutely. <laughs> was it fun to read? I hate to admit it, but yes, it was. This was a quick, good quality read. And you know what? Maybe it's best J. Scott Campbell isn't here. I'm giving this a buy it. Well, it was fun. There's nothing wrong with J. Scott Campbell. I, I mean, don't like his art. But I just his art, do not like this it. is exactly the type of stuff that he's good at. I know. And like the first artist, uh, John Royal, mm -hmm. he's the artist of the G.I. Joe Danger Girl miniseries that I kind of raved about a little right. bit last year. He's very Campbell influenced. Very Campbell influenced. Campbell influence. clone. Yeah. 
And uh, Harvey Tolobau is an artist that's done a bunch of stuff for Marvel. I actually thought he his was the least successful of the three. I thought his looked pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I really loved the third guy, though. Yeah. I thought his art was beautiful. Molnar. He's great. Uh, but I, I like this just as a fun throwaway series. Yes, it's cheesecakey. Yes, it's silly. Yeah, it's Charlie's Angels meets Indiana Jones yeah. meets 007. You know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> sure. But it's a ton of fun. It's a it's a great thrill ride. And, you know, at the end of the day, it didn't offend me. I just had a good time reading it. Yeah, it was just fun. And so I'm giving it a buy it because... Like I said, when I did my G.I. Joe Danger Girl reviews, sometimes being fun is enough. Yes. And look at me. I gave it a buy it too, jerk. I'm proud of you. Joe, what did you read to review this week? Well, my good friend Matt Baum didn't bother to plug my review into the script. So I'm going deep into the Dropbox to find my review I thought I did. of Nightwing number 19. I can do it real quick. I got it right here. Okay. Nightwing number 19 from DC Comics. Written by Kyle Higgins, with art by Brett Booth and Norm Rapmond. Colors by Andrew Dalhouse. Here's your solicit. It's been a while since we've seen the powerhouse work of Brett Booth and Norm Rapmond. That's like <laughs> vintage Wildstorm-like cover names there. I love it. Death of the family is over, but the laughs continue to plague Nightwing. But it can't be him, can it? What? The Joker. They mean, oh, oh, oh they mean got the, it. The laughs. The Joker. Ha ha! Yeah, the cover. And the, the WTF cover even has a, why so serious, Nightwing? Yeah, it's, it's true. It's me, the prankster. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Nightwing number 19 picks up with Dick Grayson having left Gotham behind after the events of Death of the Family. Dick has learned that Tony Zuko, the man that killed his parents, is alive and well and living in the Windy City. So he takes the clothes on his back and his Nightwing gear and sets up a new life in Chicago. I've always liked Higgins's take on Nightwing. But I haven't been following it too closely. It's the kind of book that I'll just forget to read for a while. Or inexplicably, Tom DeFalco will co-write it for four issues and I'll give up on it. But then I'll be able to pick it back up again without too much trouble, which I think is a credit to Higgins and his writing. I jumped right back in, felt familiar, everything felt right, and I didn't feel like I was really missing anything that's happened to the character. Now that the book is free of crossovers and tie-ins, Higgins is free to take Nightwing in a new direction, and there's kind of a freshness to it. It feels unfettered from the other Bat titles for the first time in forever, and it really shows. I could have used a little bit more explanation about why Chicago has banned superheroes. Yeah. And why the cops are so eager to pump them full of bullets. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've missed something important, but I don't think it happened in this series. For some reason, I had it in my mind that maybe it's a a remnant of the first storyline of Justice League. Like, maybe the uh, Dark Side invasion happened in Chicago. Or did that happen in Detroit? That was Detroit, I think. Yeah, so, okay, so I'm completely lost then. I don't know why the cops have yeah. been, why the mayor has banned uh, superheroes in See, Chicago. See, I admit I haven't read Nightwing for a little bit, and I like it. But, yeah, I had no idea what was going on there. I just assumed it was something I missed. Yeah, and I don't think, though, that that happened in, in the pages of Nightwing. But I could be wrong. Regardless, it didn't it didn't deter me too much. I was able to pick it up. It's very obvious. They they tell you everything you need to know. Nightwing is illegal. He, he can't be illegal. <laughs> so he can't much be so Nightwing. that they're shooting at his head. Yes. <laughs> you know? On the art side, I've never been a huge fan of Brett Booth. I mean, I've hated his work so far in the New Fifty Two, especially on Teen Titans. Yeah. But his work here just looks like a breath of fresh air. I don't know what the problem was before. 
if he was just stuck working on a title that didn't suit him or what. Maybe he hated it. Maybe. But his art in this issue is really nice. Uh, it's also he didn't have to redesign Nightwing. No. No, these and, Nightwings. Uh, this this Nightwing design was created by somebody else that came before him, and I like. And he rolled with it. I like the way that he draws the costume more than I've seen other people drawing it. Yeah, you know, he draws it with a little bit more real world. It looks a little more natural. Elements, yeah, like yeah. Um, parts of it are mesh, like where his arms would move. You know, yeah, it doesn't necessarily look like crustaceans crawled on his body and grew his armor. Right, and it also doesn't just <laughs> look know? like uh, like a cloth costume. Right, yeah, the art is kinetic and fun. It's bright when it needs to be and dark when the story calls for it it seems very well suited for a character like nightwing who has always relished his role as a crime fighter you know it's kind of a lighter tone even when it's serious it's not that serious and i think brett booth fits this book very well the colors by andrew dalhouse add a lot to the art and they really contribute to the overall tone the color palette skews a bit lighter and he makes great use of the highlights and effects to make the art come alive so it's not like overly saturated with with Photoshop effects, but he does just enough to make it look, you know, vibrant and natural. There are a couple of storytelling problems here and there. There's a specific scene where some of the crim- uh, some criminals are meeting, and Booth can't seem to keep straight which of the lowlifes the crazy femme fatale is supposed to be with, and he also breaks the 180 degree rule, which is something I. Is a, like a cinematic device where if you show two characters positioned in a scene, no matter how you frame that scene going forward, they still have to have the same positioning in relation to each other. Otherwise, it breaks your brain. <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And so like criminal A is on the left, criminal B is on the right. And then two panels later, they've swapped positions and you just, you're just like, ah, what's happening? Maybe they quickly just, you know, swap positions. Yeah, right. So it's a total <laughs> nerdy thing to pick out and maybe that doesn't bother people. Quick, trade spots with me. But, but now that I, I, I've, learned, I've learned about it, I can't not see it. Uh, other than that, though, I thought the issue was beautifully drawn and very well colored. I'm back on board, Nightwing. I really enjoyed this issue and I'm looking forward to finding out more about the new prankster who was featured on the cover, but not really part of the main story in this issue. He wasn't really here at all. It was kind of just like his involvement is foreshadowed for future. Right. For future story. Right. Not really a big WTF, but I mean, no. And really kind of, that's kind of why I liked it because it wasn't like, whoa, we've made a huge, crazy change just because we're supposed to. It's April. It's what the F month. It's just, no, they're introducing a, a new version of a classic character. Right, right. I think it's going to be kind of fun. I'm no, giving I this like, one a buy it. I like the two. I'm glad to see Brett Booth is working and doing work that I want to look at because I used to love Brett Booth. Man, I still own those Backlash comics that he did. I loved that stuff. <laughs> no, this is a buy it for me, too. Uh, Nightwing has maintained really high quality. Higgins is a great writer, and he's doing a really good job of the story. I would like to see them explain the Chicago thing a little bit, but I'm on board. Buy it. So that is a double buy it for both Danger Girl Trinity and Nightwing number 19. Of course, we want to know what you busty treasure hunters and trigger happy cops thought of these comics. So get us in your sights and blow us away with your opinions over at the comments section for this episode at TwoEditNerd.com. Break down, baby. After a deal with some of the kingpins, thugs was interrupted by the Punisher. 
Joe Patrick and I find ourselves on the run with five pounds of dank Jamaican kind bud laced with mutant growth hormone. So join me in the back of the THN A-Team van for a smoke sesh while DJ leaves Frank Castle in the dust. All while reviewing ten comics during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Watch where you're going, bro! Ludicrous Speed! Go! The A-Team doesn't do drugs. No, we're just in their van doing drugs. Whatever. <laughs> Star Wars, Darth Vader, and the Ninth Assassin from Dark Horse. This is the series written by Time Magazine's 140 most <laughs> awesome Twitter feed guys or whatever. Uh, it was really good. I liked it a lot. The art was beautiful. Star Wars Expanded Universe, I can take it or leave it sometimes, but when it's good, it's really good. I liked this a lot. I'm giving it a buy it. Fair enough. Journey, number one from Aspen. That's spelled J-I-R-N-I. It's clever. Speaking of cheesecake, there are three female characters in this comic, and they all have breasts that would make Vampirella jealous. J.T. Krull, the man who ruined Roy Harper, writes this story of an extremely busty blue woman out for revenge against the evil king that stole her moms with the help of a djinn, which is another word for genie. Uh, the art was way too busy, and Journey's design is ridiculous, and of course, it comes with high heels. Leave it. To be fair, James Robinson helped ruin Roy Harper. That's true. That's true. Miniature Jesus, number one from Image. This is the latest 22-page pile of bizarre nonsense <laughs> from Ted McKeever. I read it. I comprehend it. I don't understand it. <laughs> If that makes a bit of sense to you, sure. you're already doing better than I was you when I read Miniature Jesus number one. Maybe you weren't high enough. Maybe I wasn't high enough. <laughs> could be it. Uh, this can only get a skimmit from me. Uh, the art is beautiful. Ted McKeever is a wonderful artist. He is. He's His, amazing. But the story is b- beyond bizarre. Uh, skim it. Fair enough. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, number one from DC. Keith Giffen writes here with Pop Mahan on pencils. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. Giffen does a nice job bringing readers up to speed on the last miniseries. And the dialogue here is solid. There's no reason why He-Man can't be a great fantasy comic. And if it stays with this story, it could be a lot of fun. There's a really weird scene where Tila strips down to her skivvies in a hallway with Prince Adam and her dad. <laughs> hey, which I didn't really get. Eternia is a free love kind of place. Well, you know what? If you're in He-Man, you want to read a good He-Man story, this was fun. I'm giving it a buy. Hey, Danger Club, number five, remember. Man, I've been waiting for this book to come back forever. This is the story about the sidekicks who are the world's only hope after all of the superheroes die and the Earth gets taken over by a hero gone bad. And they're the coolest, too. And they're awesome, they're yes. They're not just, like, knockoffs of Robin. And, I mean, no, no. I mean, there's a little bit of that, but yeah. those are homages. Right. And the rest of them are really great. Really cool. Uh, things are very, very bad <laughs> in this comic. Uh, for our characters, it's, it's looking of, very bleak. It's Lord of the Flies with kid superheroes. It looks like the bad guy's winning, uh, but just when all hope was lost, there is a really masterfully executed last page kind of twist uh, that I almost missed because it's just so well done. Huge buy it for me. This is well written, beautiful art. Get this book. Buy it. Victorian Secret Agents, Owls of the Ironwork Isles, number one from... Antarctic Press. AP Entertainment, I think they're going by. Antarctic Press. I dig the cartoony art here by Will Terrell, and I hope that's how he says his name, maybe Terrell. And it works nicely with the steampunk theme. Unfortunately, the story was kind of boring. It was well written, but 
just kind of boring. I don't know. The owls seem to be an undercover agents that protect the queen in this sort of steampunk universe that they've built here. And in this story, it includes the investigation of a dead Chinaman. Their word, not mine. Okay, just throwing that out it there. It was a Victorian age. It was a Victorian age, I suppose. If you're into the steampunk thing, maybe this is more for you. It's not so much for me. I find steampunk kind of annoying, to tell you the truth. But this wasn't bad. Skim it. And Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. Iron Man number eight from Marvel. This is the final part of the God Killer storyline where Tony Stark is put on trial for really messing up the Phoenix during the uh, events of Avengers vs. X-Men. The art by Greg Land is not my favorite. I'm done with Greg Land on this book. But it's not as bad as I've seen it. I just don't think I like Greg Land. I think I'm done with it. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, but I'm kind of enjoying the story from Kieran Gillen and... Uh, Dale Eaglesham jumps on next issue yeah. for the big uh, secret origin storyline. Super excited for Dale Eaglesham. This gets a mention because Death's Head shows up. Like Whoa. The original Death's Head that finishes every statement with the word, yes? <laughs> like he's asking you a question <laughs> while he's about to bash your head in. It, it's kind of fun. The art's not my favorite. I'm giving it a skim it, but you know, Iron Man has grown on me since the beginning. Fair enough. TMNT Macro Series Villains, Krang, number one. This is the origin of Krang, the gelatinous squid turtle villain. That, Excuse me, he's a brain. Right, that rides around a genetically altered slave's stomach. Here we see Krang as a petulant kid on his home planet of Ultra Minion, trying to impress his father and show him that he too can be a real ruler. The art here by Mike Henderson was really good. But the whole time I read this, all I could think about was squid billies. <laughs> Just... I think Crane's a stupid villain and I don't so much care about him, but this isn't badly done. Skin it. Cable Next Force number seven from Marvel. I keep wanting to love this book. I do love this book. And I don't love it. I love this book. I'm. Uh, you're over Greg Land. I'm over Salvador La Roca. I'm not. The art here was super inconsistent. There's one page in particular where it really falls down. Okay. To be fair, I haven't read this issue yet. Well, that's fine. Okay. But I just. There's something about it. I think I said it during the state of that we did a couple weeks ago. I like all the elements. I like Dr. Nemesis. I like Forge. I like Colossus. I like Domino. But I just am not really digging the execution. I can only give this a skim it, and I'm not really sold on the art. Fair enough. Savage Wolverine number four from Marvel. I love Frank Joe's art. He's amazing. And some of his dialogue is actually really funny, but there's just no hook in this story for me. And they introduce another man thing without really even going into why there's another man thing. Oh, and don't worry. Shanna's not dead and her boobs are big as ever. Leave it. Shacked. That is your little for speed round. And shacked is the sound made when the daughter of Hordak blasts Tila with some kind of red laser. And wait till you see who the daughter of Hordak is. As seen in this week's E-Man and the Masters of the Universe. After hearing about our 420 celebration plans, our good friend Volstag raided Odin, Odin's personal pantry and has agreed to roast Tangrisnir, yeah. one of the mystical goats that pulls Thor's chariot. That dude's going to be pissed. Oh, of course, this is to help us with our severe case of the munchies. I'm so hungry. It's serious. So join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum for a godlike meal that will surely put us to sleep. Where we will dream all about next week's comics. Right on. Matt Bomb. That's heavy, bro. What do you see when you close your eyes? 
Next week, I'm excited for Helheim number two from Oni Press. One's written by Colin Bunn with art by Joelle Jones, who is a girl. We decided. She's a girl. She's a girl. We didn't decide. Nature decided. I have a friend named Joel. His name is Joel. Whatever. Here's just a listen. The new series from the Six Gun writer Colin Bunn and fan favorite artist Joel Jones continues. <laughs> Biff Dragor walks after death, and death walks after the Dragor. Ricard is dead. Long live Ricard. Raised from oblivion by the woman he loved, Ricard takes his bloody fight to the doorstep of the night hag, Groa. But he discovers that not all the people cowering under Groa's protection are the monsters he believed them to be. That sounds like a real drag, man. It's Six Gun with Vikings, and it's awesome. I really like it. What is your pick for next week, Joe Patrick? My pick is Jupiter's Legacy number one from Image Comics by Mark Miller. And Frank quietly. Millar. It's Miller. Millar. It's Miller. Here's your solicit. The comic book event of 2013 finally arrives. The superstar creators Mark Miller and Frank quietly. Hold on, sorry. Yeah. Mark Miller! <laughs> and Frank quietly! Remember, we're yelling everything that's in caps. Give us the superhero epic that all future comics will be measured by. The world's greatest heroes have grown old, and their legacy is a poisonous one to the children who will never live up to their remarkable parents. Unmissable. That's a very humble solicit there. I should have known. <laughs> <laughs> the epic that all future comics will be measured by. I'll say one thing for Mark Miller. Huh. He knows how to sell himself. The guy can toot his own horn. I'll say that. <laughs> The THN trade for of the week for next Wednesday is X-Men Longshot, written by Anne Nocenti, who at one time didn't suck, with art by Arthur Adams. This reprints the classic late 80s Longshot miniseries that not only introduced us to the rebel from the Mojoverse with his mutant power of good luck and his razor-sharp throwing spatulas, but made me fall in love with him. The guy had the best 80s rocker mullet ever in all of comics you're in love with better Longshot? than rick jones i love Longshot. of course we want to know what you're looking forward to next week so be sure to tell us what a fatty and a big plate of smoked roasted goat that sounds delicious has got you excited for at our facebook page that's facebook.com for the poll list slash <laughs> forward slash do it a nerd you ever had goat uh, no. It's freaky delicious. <laughs> Gross. Before we move on, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. The Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. From now until Free Comic Book Day on May 4th, Legend is selling door price tickets for $5 each, with all proceeds benefiting the Nebraska chapter of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. For each $5 donation you make, you will receive one chance to win a CGC 4.0 copy of Amazing Spider-Man number 1, the first issue of Spider-Man's ongoing adventures, published in 1963. There are lots of other local door prizes for you Omaha natives, but you don't need to be present to win, so the drawing is open to everybody around the world. Go to legendcomicsandcoffee.com right now to make your donation. You have until free comic book day, and there is no limit to the amount you can donate. Help us raise money for this great cause. And hey, breaking news. 
if we are somehow able to raise $25,000 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, occasional guest host Dave DeMarco will get a My Little Pony tattooed on his arm. Pervert. No joke. Thanks again to Legend Comics for sponsoring THN. And if you guys would like more information about sponsoring this show, send us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Sponsorship. Hits from the bin. Hits from the bin. Pick it, pack it, bag it, and board it. Come along and pack your comics in my long. Put the comic down just for a second. Don't get me wrong, it's not a new method. Inhale, exhale. Just got a new issue in the mail. Damn, that dude can rap. <laughs> That was fantastic. That's right, y'all. The comic pushes are back, turning you impressionable kids into comic junkies. This week, a smelly bug-eyed dope fiend named Mark writes, Dear comic pushers, comic book universes are complicated. In the Marvel U, for example, the number of costume super beings is constantly growing, while the number of years that have passed since the beginning of recent history always stays the same. Since at least the 1980s, it's always been about 10 years since the careers of Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four began. Which would place Peter Parker in high school and Reed Richards in a molecularly stable lab coat around 2003 by today's reckoning. Can you recommend any good series or story arcs that fill in Marvel history from, say, 1945 to the 1990s? That's a lot of history. A lot of history. Also, can you give a brief outline of who was around and what major events occurred in the Marvel's 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s? I've heard of Mark Millar's 1985, but... Know nothing about it other than the title. Is this a series that might interest me? I would say uh, 1985 is good. 1985 was fun. But it's not what you're looking for. It, I know the title is 1985, but it's not really you know, filling in the past of the Marvel Universe. Well, And that's the tricky thing about the past of the Marvel Universe. And this is going to sound weird. And it sort of flies in the face of your question. But it doesn't really matter. If you know what I mean. It's not that it doesn't count. It just doesn't really matter because it changes so much. And there's so many stories that flash back to things that happened in World War II. Right. Ed, Ed Brubaker's Cap spent a lot of time flashing back to Cap during World War II. And some of the, like, the major villains he bumped into there and stuff like that. Millar's 1985 doesn't so much do that. It just sort of takes a look at it, what the Marvel Universe may have been like in the 80s. Well, it takes place in 1985 in the quote-unquote real world. And then they cross over into the Marvel Universe. The reason it, it's titled 1985, I think, is mainly because that's when the Marvel Handbook came out. Yeah. Uh, and that's where, like, Secret Wars happened and, yeah. and things like that. And so it's kind of tied to that nostalgic period, but it's not really set in that time frame. I know it's confusing, uh, but just trust me when I say it's worth reading, but it's not what you're looking for for this particular question. As for what series kind of do scratch that itch, there was a great series from a couple years ago called Mystery Men. Yes. Uh, that was all new costume characters, you know, not Invaders, not... Uh, David Hine? Maybe. I think it was David Hine. Uh, Patrick Zercher drew it. Yeah. And Beautiful art. It was a, an all new cast, and it kind of took place in that nebulous period, you know, where you didn't uh, have any of the major superheroes running around. There was also... A series by John Byrne in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, called Marvel The Lost Generation that addressed this very 
question. What happened in between the time of the of Captain America going into the drink and the Fantastic Four first appearing? David Liss wrote it. David Liss, yeah. David Liss. Uh, Marvel The Lost Generation addresses this exact problem. Another thing I'd recommend is, is Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross's Marvels. Yeah, definitely. Which is a great example of the Marvel timeline you know, kind of illustrated from beginning to to the present. It's very broad in scope, too. It does not. It doesn't necessarily fill that gap because, by virtue of the universe and the way it works, and the nature of these characters and how they have to be mutable and and you know, kind of leap forward in time along with their audience. Right. That gap gets bigger every time they have to kind of. And there has to be a reboot. There has to be a sliding time scale, yes. if you will. And so the reason why it doesn't look like anything happened in that vast time period is because when the characters were created, that gap was very small. Right. Captain America had only been gone for like 10 or 15 years when the Fantastic Four first appeared. Now it's like 50. <laughs> and now it's like 50. Yeah, it's 50 or 60, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's the good thing about characters like Captain America who's got that built-in kind of safety net of suspended animation. Yeah. He can be unthought at any time. Right. He can be a World War II character. And a lot of those villains artificially extended their lives and stuff like that. So they can still be around, too. It was the same thing with the JSA at DC before they got rebooted away, in that they were all, like, magically long-lived. Right. And so that gap didn't matter as much. I would I would suggest Agents of Atlas by Jeff Parker. Yes. That was a lot of fun. And And to, those characters are born out of that time period, that right. 50s era time period. They were golden age characters that he sort of plucked out and stuck them in the Marvel universe today and it was so much fun. Well, and the good thing about Agents of Atlas is that it kind of shows a little bit about their past adventures and their present adventures so you kind of get a sense that they've been at this together as a group for a very long time. Right. There's also uh, Mark Millar's Trouble, where you can see the adventures of young Aunt May and Peter's slut mom. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, was, they're both sluts. It was not good. Don't read Trouble. <laughs> Don't read trouble. <laughs> it was not good. It's not in continuity. That's a joke. <laughs> but that'll that's a little bit of what you're asking for, but there's not going to be a lot of that sort of stuff out there because by nature of of these characters... Really, the Marvel Universe starts when the Fantastic yeah, Four are. They born. have to keep this stuff nebulous. Yeah, and 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 it just makes sense, so we can you know still relate to them because no one's going to want to read a story about a ninety-two-year-old Reed Richards. Yeah, it just doesn't work. There are also some stories that Matt will say are not good, but he hasn't really read them, so don't listen to him. Like what? Uh, Marvel, like I said, Marvel The Lost Generation is fun. Uh, there was also some miniseries some years back about the members of the Fantastic Four before they became the Fantastic Four. Eh, I didn't love those. Uh, so there was an adventure uh, like of Ben Grimm meeting Logan, aka Wolverine, and yeah. you know getting in adventures. Uh, Reed Richards... Super scientist, treasure hunter, yeah, you know, and that kind of fun stuff. So check that stuff out. I think they the miniseries collectively they were called Before the Four, mm-hmm. uh, and there were three or four different series. So I hope that kind of gets you going. But I'm afraid you're out of luck if you're looking for like a comprehensive history. Yeah, you're looking too deep, buddy. And the reason why there are no big events to tell you about is because there were no big events. <laughs> Thank you for your question, Mark. I hope we helped you out there. We gave you a few to take a peek at. And, of course, we want to know what you thought of them. So, please, man, pick some of these up. Get back to us. Tell us if we were right or wrong. We'd love to hear back from you. 
And if you are looking for a new comic book series, send us an email, drop us a line on Skype, hit us up on Twitter, hit us on Facebook, tell us what you're into, what you like to read, what you like to watch, what kind of video games you play, what you had for breakfast, how many times a day you use the bathroom, little things like this, and we will suggest a new comic series to ruin your life and make you a comic junkie forever. Sort of break it it down like this. And that is it for the annual 420 episode of THN. If two nerds smoking fat buds and listening to Gangsta Rap is your idea of a good time, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher, where if you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating and a written review or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners. Tell your friends. That's right. Huge thanks to this week's donors, Blake, Jamie, who we confirmed as a boy, a boy, and Camarillo Brillo, who I think only donated because he's so guilty about his failure to Skype. What a, what a bum. <laughs> if you'd like to help keep us in fat spliffs and laboratory-grade glass bongs with cooling reservoirs. It's important. I don't understand any of those terms. So it doesn't burn your throat. I got it. You can make your donation in any amount using our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. You forgot to call it adorable. I'm, I'm done calling it adorable. It's so cute, though. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed, at TwoHeadedNerd, our Skype handle, TwoHeadedNerd. No spaces. And our email, twoheadednerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail, leave us a voice message, or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget to check out all the new content from the THN Love Slaves at twoheadednerd.com, including the return of Girl Meets Nerd this Monday, if I can force my wife to write it, and it always takes some forcing. And some previews of some Dark Horse stuff that's coming out this week. Yeah. That's going to make Joe Patrick actually put it up. (laughs) You think? (laughs) Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And if you want to hear even more of your answers along with our own, be sure to check out the newly revamped 2 web exclusive, not safe for winos. We've done that. White people. Not safe for white people. The new and improved answer of the week. I'm sorry, I've run out of W's. <laughs> Next week, we're taking this show on the road and heading to C2E2 in Chicago. So watch our Twitter if you guys want to hook up and buy us shots. We didn't get a table, but we're taking the place over and you're all going to be our hostages. Cover up your butt, Phil Hester. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Natalia Baum. My new baby niece, she was born last Sunday, and the first time I held her, she farted louder than my pugs. Word to you, Tali, and that is a reference to Mass Effect. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Joe Patrick, let's go smoke down and get f***ed up for Earth Day. Stop singing a song because I'm hot.